short time ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Ich bin ein Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this. Welcome back to the Cold War, episode 194. Yes, I'm, I'm laser focused. And laser lasered uh, downstairs too, from what I understand. Yeah. Oh, mm. I've had, I've mm. had hair removed. Yes. Uh, yeah. You, the trick right. is to hold, you got to hold uh, still. Thanks for... Go ahead. That's that's what you yep. told me in Vegas. <laughs> the trick is you got to hold still. Uh, in our last episode, we talked about the first American engagement in the Korean War, the Battle of Osan, yes. in uh, July fifth, nineteen fifty. Task Force Smith uh, managed to hold off some North Korean tanks for six or seven hours, and they got completely overrun. Well, they didn't hold them off really. They they they. They yeah. watched them go by and wave. I guess that's they didn't really yeah. stop them. They stopped a couple of them, but the tanks, the infant, the North Korean right. tanks, the North Korean infantry just rode on by and said, uh, "What was that? Did you see something? I think it was some Americans. I'm not sure. Uh, whatever. Yeah, tourist. Yeah, they had the Hawaiian Taking shirts photos. on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, selfies. <laughs> they had a selfie stick up. The next. Right. Oh. Unit of the 24th Division to f- try and uh, stand up to the North Koreans was the 34th Int- Infantry. They were behind Task Force, Force yeah. fucking I can't speak, Task Force Smith's Battalion. That's uh, a four, four, four times as strong as Task Force really Smith. Uh, 1,981 oh, men. Well, they're going to do much better, obviously. They're four times as, four times as uh, many men. Yeah, four times as effective. Like a tank right. can roll right. over one yeah. guy pretty easily, but if you put four guys, right? Yeah, he's gonna. Yeah, he's Yeah, he's Billis T. Damn, I got Tim. He's in. He's eating kimchi in the tank. He's gonna uh, notice that. Is he? Like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, Nineteen hundred and eighty-one men uh, still. No tanks, uh, no anti-tank weapons uh, flown in from Japan. uh, Right. You think that would have happened? Again, the bags of anti Yeah, still. It's a bag on the target. No one looked at it. (laughs) See, the problem is it was really well camouflaged, this bag. They designed. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Oh, they couldn't even see it. it. When they design, yeah, normal you camouflage. When you're designing, I don't know if you know this, but when you're designing military equipment for camouflage, it's like a jungly kind of thing. Jungle camouflage. Right. If you're fighting in the desert, you get the desert camouflage, or or a or or a ghillie suit. Brown and tan. uh, If you're in, you know, if you if you're hiding in like bushes. Uh, uh, I know that from playing Call of Duty, and uh, my that's the limit of my military experience, and. and juggle, what? but Barry and Stan were trying at something new with this, uh, with their camouflage. They oh, they came up with a new concept. Like it was tarmac, uh, tarmac camouflage. A little more pricey. Well, the, the idea was it. if you land okay. on the enemy's tarmac, right? 
they can't. They won't be able to steal your shit because it's it's camouflaged. Unfortunately, just well, they didn't quiet. really think it through. Right. Compl- well, they were in a hurry. I mean, obviously, they they right. were. It was too good. It was too good. <laughs> I can't see. Where are you? Fuck me. This really works. Where you? Right here. Oh my god. That's great. I didn't even see it. Yeah. If it wasn't for your That's breathing. That's how I felt the first time no, I met I you in Vegas. I can yeah. hear someone talking. I, well, look, look down. Oh, there you are. Um, yes, uh, the, the 34th Infantry Sorry. didn't have any more training or equipment than TFS. No. Uh, no. Uh, but late on the night of, late on the, night of the 5th of July... The uh, the the stragglers right. and survivors of TFS Smith's division start uh, drifting in, terrified, uh, telling yeah. stories of uh, the, these uh, tanks coming their way. What I want to know right. is yeah. how sure did the yeah. survivors of Task Force Smith get to the thirty fourth Infantry before the tanks did? If they Stayed there for six or seven uh, hours. Yeah. How come the tanks right. didn't beat them? Right. From what I know, the uh, North Koreans, when they got to Osam, they consolidated. They had to wait for uh, supplies, uh, ammunition, uh, food, stuffs, and stuff like that to arrive. So I think there was a delay. So, um, so the next town that the Americans are going to go to and set up, like you were just saying, Task Force Smith shows up. And a lot of those men don't have their equipment because they threw it down in order to be able to run faster. They're at, uh, I'm just going to say Pyeongtaek, because I really don't know how to say it. It's 15 miles or 24 kilometers south of where they were before. So uh, like you said, the 34th Infantry Regiment is setting this up. These stragglers start to come in. And so this is where the next battle is, is going to take place. And they do debrief Smith and they find out what happens. Um, and uh, so what it is, and so, I'll just do so, this real quick. This will be so a short this version. Time, but this, so yeah, this time yeah, the ahead. Americans have learned yes. from right. the disaster. Yeah, well, and you they say the are going to be prepared, yeah. prepared this time. Prepared. Well, let, let me answer that question for you. Okay, so you've got the uh, you got the thirty fourth Infantry Regiment. They've got two battalions, the first and the third, right? Just like uh, Task Force Smith, except for Task Force Smith was one battalion. Anyway, so they take one um, battalion, the first, they put it on the left. They take the third battalion and they put it on the right. They've got a little line here. So what it is is the Yellow Sea is to the Americans' left, and there's a mountain to the Americans' right. So if the North Koreans want to come any further south, they've got to come through us. You hear me, motherfuckers? you got to come to me. If you want to go any further south, and if you come here, I will fuck you up. So anyway, so this is the plan. Hold on. So Brigadier Sorry, General... Sorry, no, go on. Yes, yes. I'm not... I, yeah? I just don't want you yeah. to miss the, bit, oh. the good quote. Oh, I, oh, I don't... Sorry, let me, let me just it. pick this up then. Yeah. The uh, battalion commander of the 34th, Lieutenant Colonel Harold Ayres... Right. ...was told by his commander, General George Bath... Sure. ...that... Come what might, he was not to end up like Brad Smith. Oh, see, it's already happened. Don't it's get already smithed. happening. Yeah. Don't get smith. <laughs> Don't do not whatever you do. But whatever. 
Right. Don't whatever. Get, whatever don't get comes smithed. Happen. But see, here's the part that you don't know probably. Barth fucked up the entire battle right after he told that commander that. So here's what Barth does. So Barth is highly worried. Look, just delay, get the fuck out of there, but I need you to slow him down. So he says this, right? Don't get smithed. Barth sees the um, uh, battalion on the left. He sees the battalion on the right. He knows the, um, the uh, North Koreans have got to come through here if they want to go any further south. Barth on his own tells the first battalion, you stay here. You're good. He goes to the third battalion that's on the right. He goes, you know what? This isn't going to work. You're going to get your ass kicked. What I want you to do is I want you and all of your men to travel about, I think it's like 10 or 15 miles further south and set up another line. Because there's no way after what happened to Smith, there's no way this is going to work. Yeah, I told you to set up like this, but I changed my mind. So now the first battalion is sitting there by themselves and the North Koreans are coming. Then... Barth takes one little company, I think about 40 guys. I'm, I'm trying to remember. I can't really remember the number. He takes one tiny part of the 3rd Battalion, and he sets them right behind the 1st Battalion. And he says to them, when the North Koreans come, the 1st Battalion is going to get their ass kicked. I want you to, at the very least, lay down cover fire as they run the fuck away, because that's what's going to happen. So he, on his own, sabotages the American effort. So this one entire battalion is told to retreat before the first fire, before the first uh, shot is fired. So he completely fucks that up. So, um, so it's near midnight of July 5th, and some of the last parts of the Task Force Smith show up like we were talking about. They show up to the 1st Battalion's line, and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, they're coming, they're right behind us, they've been chasing us, it's really hell. So the 1st Battalion gets ready. By the morning of July 6th, there's still rain and fog, and so... There's no air cover that's going to be able to help them. So the T-34s come, just like at the Battle of Osam. The Americans open up. Not only are their weapons not doing very much against the T-34s, but the, the battalions, um, what do they call them? They call them an observer. You stand over there at a different position from us, and you look at your binoculars, and when our shells land, you tell us, do we need to move to the left, to the right, up, down, you know, you, so you can do a better job. That observer gets shot. And no one has the presence of mind to send a second observer there to take over for him. So the artillery has to stop because they have no idea where to shoot. My thing was they told someone like me, look, I need you to go take over for that guy who just got shot. To which I would have said, sir, you can go fuck yourself. I'm not going over there because if I hold up binoculars, they're going to shoot me because they know what I'm doing. So the artillery attack which doesn't do any good, is over with like in a couple of minutes. So it's a complete clusterfuck. So now the T-34s are coming and the first, battal the first battalion has got to take off just like they did at Osam. And like Smith's task force, uh, as they retreat, they just drop their weapons and yes. run away yes. As, yes. as you do. <laughs> when uh, General <laughs> Dean found out, oh, he, oh. he replaced... Is the lieutenant colonel, the battalion commander, yes. and ordered them to dig in where they stood. The new commander that he appointed, a guy called Martin, survived 48 hours before he was killed in action at Chonan. Right. Yeah, that's another battle he, that's even further south. Yes, yes. So this he, happens he three times. Yeah, He tried to take on one of the tanks with a bazooka. As you do, bitch. Come on. Scored a direct hit and he was killed on the spot. 
Did you know that his his bazooka did hit the T-34 that killed him? I think it left a scratch. Mm. Anyway, but he he was gone. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Uh, General Dean later wrote, resistance had disintegrated and now our troops were bugging out. Yes. Now, this this pattern of American uh, troops being sent in to try and stop them and then just running away uh, was repeated again and again as the North Koreans moved further and further south. Uh, they would the, the the Americans would get hustled into a defensive position. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the officers were unable to give them any decent orders, able to stop the the confusion, the disarray, right. and it just crumbled over right. and over again. And the battle at Chonan, which actually went on for a whole twenty hours this time, so that's how long the North Koreans were held up. But again, you could argue the Americans are getting better at delaying the enemy. I'm not saying that's true, but but they were held up for twenty hours, so Well there was four that. times as many of them. That's this right, time, right. So I'm you... sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> You're right. I didn't factor in the math. I normally don't. So good for you. One of the survivors of Task Force Smith, a guy called Major Floyd Martin, said, we knew we weren't doing very well, but we kept saying to ourselves, well, here we are, and we've been here a month, and where the hell is the rest of the United States Army? Good point. Good question. On July 10th, Dougie Mack was was formally appointed Commander-in-Chief of the United Nations Command, despite the United Nations not wanting him to be. Huh. Does that sound right? Doesn't everybody love us? <laughs> the UN yeah. Secretary General right. suggested and proposed that the war should be directed by the United Nations Committee on Coordination for the Assistance of Korea, a seeing as Come it's a United Nations action, supposedly. Uh, the British, the French, and the Norwegians... Yes. You always all agreed to this. The Norwegian, right. you got to have the Norwegians on board. You oh, can't do anything. Exactly. Everyone knows you can't do anything without the Norwegians. Don't, I don't make a move don't. unless I talk to a Norwegian. I, I don't. Yeah. I don't. Yeah. I mean, come yeah. on. Uh, but the <laughs> so U.S. They said, the right? The, yeah. Well, they wanted it to be led by the United Nations. Right. Hold on. Because isn't that yeah. wh- why you set this up in the first place? So we yes. do shit like this, and it's not like the a unilateral thing. It's the United Nations right. doing it. The US yes. said, "I hear what you're saying, on but paper. go fuck yourselves. Right. Go fuck yourselves. Right. Uh, <clears throat> we're doing this. This is us. We're yes. making the decisions. Honestly, you're just yeah. here to rubber stamp what we fucking tell you to rubber stamp. It's we a good idea. are in control. Yeah." But you bring in American testosterone, and they've killed American boys, so fuck committees. And But let's be honest, I think America might, at this point, be paying for most of the war because it's mostly American troops, I get that. But America's like, no, we will be running this. You give us the troops, and shut the fuck up, and we are going to run this war. The official history of this for the UN says, in the military field, the control of the United States government was complete, in the yes. political field, consultations with the United Nations and some contributing members were more frequent. On occasion, the UN made various recommendations. Mm-hmm. In the final analysis, however, a large mm-hmm. range of political decisions was taken by the United States government as the unified command. 
I can do better than that. Not only was the United States making decisions, but as you said on a previous show, it wasn't Truman for a while making decisions. It was fucking MacArthur, even political decisions. He was the one who was pretty much given a blank check because he's a great American hero, which, of course, is going to rub the American politicians uh, the wrong way after a while. But but MacArthur truly is able to do anything he wants. So this is his ball game, even though it is a uh, multinational um front we're trying to put together to stop the North Koreans. And a clusterfuck. <clears throat> and a cluster, that, That's American made. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. Well, he turns it around for a little while, I guess. We'll get to that. Yeah. But in the, yeah. in the initial stages, it was a clusterfuck. Right. So it was, the point I want to make here is that yeah. when we talk about Korea, people often, you know, defenders of the uh, American side of it will often say, well, it wasn't America. It was the UN. Oh. It was a United Nations right. action. Right. But according to the UN, mm, yeah, we yeah. signed off on we it. Tried. Uh, we tried. Un- under pressure. Even right. though we didn't really agree, as you remember from the earlier episodes, with the U.S.'s uh, 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 hypothesis that this was all mm-hmm. being run by Moscow, the British and the French didn't agree right. with that. Right. But at the end of the day, it was really the U.S. making all yeah. of the decisions, both military and uh, most of the political decisions were coming out of the U.S., as you say, mostly Dougie Mack. Yeah. Now... Um, On the 13th of July, General Walton Walker set up his 8th Army headquarters. Yeah, WW, got to love that, Walter White, (laughs) Walt Whitman and Walton Walker in Korea with operational responsibility for the UN ground forces in the field. He's serving Mm -hmm. under MacArthur. Right. And these forces were basically the, the... U.S. troops from Japan, all getting yes. moved over there. Yes. The only reinforcement that they had mm-hmm. were the South Koreans, which obviously were crumbling. Right, right. Uh, so you had the 25th and the 1st Cavalry Divisions sent over from Japan. Now, yes. until they arrived, it was General Dean's job. He's head of the 24th to delay the North Koreans as mm-hmm. long as possible between Osan and the Kum River, 40 miles right. southwards. But as we see, the North Koreans just brushed right past Dean's uh, forces every right. time. Yes. And uh, the Kum River around uh, Ang Song and Pyeongtaek, mm-hmm. it, was, it was summer. The water level was very low, so the T-34s just cruised on past, not a problem. Oh, was that water? I didn't... Oh, okay. And they kept going. That's how how shallow it was, yeah. The 19th Infantry uh, was encircled, had to fight its way out of it, lost one-fifth of their troops. Damn. And more than half of its 1st Battalion. Yes. And Dean was driven back to Taizhong, where the North Koreans started to attack on the 19th of July. So first, the first engagement with the Americans was on the 5th of July. Right. We're now up to the 19th of July. Two full weeks yes, of engagements, and the yes. Americans have accomplished 
next to fuck all in two weeks. It doesn't matter, and I'll tell you why. Because the newly arrived 3.5-inch bazookas are now in there. They had the 2. Point, I think it was like 2.65, whatever. They got the bigger guns now. This is the newer equipment coming in. And Dean is smart enough to set up. These are tank busters. I'm going to set up special teams. We're going to go around. We're going to set up these anti-tank teams. We've all got these new guns. And if we can take out their tanks, then that will give their infantry pause because so far the infantry hasn't had to do fuck all. It's all the tanks. It's not even the, uh, the North Koreans air force. I don't even know what the hell they have. It's all the T-34s. If we can take out enough of those, they will probably come to a halt. And like you said, those two other divisions are on their way. We've just got to buy more tanks time and this is how we're going to do it i remember when we were in vegas and you said you wanted to show me your three and a half inch bazooka <laughs> right yeah and well, i thought i, I thought yeah. it was a like a relic a military uh, right. I, I mean it was a relic yeah uh hadn't been used for a long time but this is uh, why I, cry. I had to edit out the crying and the sad part the other part of that story you don't know is that it was already out and you didn't even notice so hurtful <laughs> Well, I was impr- like three and a half inches is not to be sneezed yeah. at. I think that's that's uh, I, there's a there's a there's a designer I think in Oregon called Aaron Draplin. I'm a big fan. He's a graphic designer, does logos right. and stuff. Um, I was on his website this morning because he's just designed a Timex watch that I'm trying to stop myself from buying. It's very cool, and uh, I know he's, he sells a ruler, a wooden ruler, a six inch wooden ruler. Right. Uh, yeah, it's a beautifully designed wooden ruler. He has a lot of merch on his website that he's designed, you know, cool shit. Uh, but the, the, the description for the wooden ruler, the, the beginning of it is a quote from his mother, which right. is, your father's been telling me for 40 years that two inches is really six inches, so it's good to have a ruler <laughs> to verify or something like that. <laughs> and it was, it was like, quite from his I, mother. I, I told you. I was you. like, I told that's you. fucking great. And in the rest of the description right. for the ruler, it's I, I gotta, I'll dig this up, actually, man, because it's fucking great. Um, it's like the kind of shit that we would write. Uh, oh, hold on. It's his field note. Hold on, not the pocket ruler. His field notes brand six-inch ruler. Let me read this. Um. Product description. I'm no mathematician, but your father's been telling me two inches is six inches for 35 years. Lauren, Lauren Draplin, in reference to the act of creation that made us. This handy pocket-sized ruler will come in handy when you need to measure things that are small. Some examples of how we use these. One, measuring Gary's turds. Two, dialing in Gokko registration. Three, helping to pry Matt Cass's foot out of his mouth after he says stupid shit. Good solid American pine wood construction that, after some whittling down, could double as a sharp, deadly shank or some sort of some sort good for street fights or hunting. The first of many products in an upcoming project launch. Stay tuned. Nice. Uh, yeah. And then product details. One, pine construction. Two, Gary knows black ink pressed into the wood real hard for life. Three, combined with the slogan, we measure up, this unit is lethal. Four, six inches complete with hash marks for ease of use measurement. Five, will fit in your pocket. Six, buy 50 of them, arranged neatly into geometric teepee formation, light on fire, then tell a couple of tall tales. I'm going to do that. It's fucking great. Isn't that the best... The yes. best product description you've heard in a long time. I like that. It's fucking great. Barry and Stan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we got this. Um, so, 
So they've got the three and a half inch bazookas, yes. Right. Um, now, Dean himself, General Dean, apparently right. led one team. They called sure. it the Dean Team, the <laughs> Dean Dream <laughs> Team. Uh, they came up with. Uh, right. You know, I put badass Dean, that yours is better. So yeah, the DDT, and yeah, then that got a bad go. connotation <laughs> later on. Yeah, yeah people started yeah. dying from DDT. They had to change that. Yeah. He, he and his team stalked a tank through the streets for more than an hour before yes. successfully destroying it, according to ancient mythology. I'm not sure I'd buy that story. Can, can I ask a question? No one knows more about uh, leadership than yourself. Mm-hmm. If your general is out in the streets... Particularly, guys, particularly wartime, wartime thank leadership. You, exactly, because yeah, yeah, yeah. you did do the uh, Call of Duty or whatever it was. Yeah, um, yeah. If your general is out in the streets with his three and a half inches... And a bunch of other guys, and they're stalking a tank for an hour. Uh, who is running the shop? Who is issuing orders? Who is making sure everything's covered and, and everything's moving forward? Mm. Just mm. Uh, asking for mm. a friend. Mm. Well, it's no problem. Uh, right. If you need to get hold of Dean, you right. just uh, call him. Call him. You have his private number. Just call him yeah. on his cell phone. Or, or hop on a tank. He'll notice you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> WhatsApp. <laughs> Skype, <laughs> there are plenty of options to get hold of him if right? you need to ask questions yeah. about what you should be doing. Kind of no idea why. No right. idea why this all, you know, crumbled. Yeah. Um, they they managed to hold off the North Koreans for a couple of hours. Yes, uh, that was it. Uh, oh, and then they broke through. Now, Dean himself mm-hmm. uh, got uh, uh, lost. With a couple of his guys, right, um, and, and this is the Battle to, of Tejon. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. Yes, Battle of Tejon had to hide, sure, from sure. the North Koreans. Ended up uh, going after some water for one of their wounded guys. Slipped or something. He wasn't oh, quite shit. sure. Fell down a slope, hit his head on a rock, and was knocked unconscious. And but because he was the general and his right. men, you know, uh, loved him and and admired him and and respected him. Sure, they uh, left him there. That's and... <laughs> that sounds right. Do you know how quickly I would leave you? And no disrespect intended, but if you fell and we were being chased, I'd that sucks to be you. And I would actually run even faster. See that kind of thing where you fall and hit your head? That never happened to Rambo. He hid near water. He would bury himself in the clay wall and put mud. Never, never happened to him. But but mm-hmm. Dean is fifty one years old, past his prime. He falls and hits his head. Gets an ouchie. one of one of one of his guys sent another one of his guys down the slope and said, sure. <laughs> leave, "Leave the Dean, take the bazooka." <laughs> That's a good call. Survival of yeah. the fittest. So so yeah. uh, what happened to Dean with the bump on his head? I got a lot about Dean because this right. is a really interesting uh, story. Um, okay. So Dean regained consciousness uh, sometime later, hours later. Right. Found that he had a gash on his head, a broken shoulder. Oh, shit. And obviously many bruises. For the next 36 days. I'm out. He wandered alone in the mountains of South Korea. Finding himself? Trying to find himself. No food, no right. medical treatment, with a gash on his head, probably not, concussion, and a yes. broken shoulder, mind Damn. you. He's tough. Yeah. 
Got to hand him that. 51, broken soldier, 36 days. Eventually is found by a couple of South Koreans who said they would take him to safety. Oh, good. And by by safety, they meant to the North Koreans (laughs) where he was handed over and taken prisoner. We get money for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Well, and fuck you. We don't like you. That's uh, good you're, point. An, you're an American, and we so hate a general. You. Yeah. A well, they didn't know he was a general. Oh, good point. But still, and the North Koreans didn't know he was a general at oh, first because he just, you, you know, he just looked like a shit. you know raggedy yeah. old piece of shit. <laughs> the U.S. meanwhile considered him dead, MIA, and dead. Right. Now, he was taken to a prison camp in Suwon where he was given medical treatment and food but began to suffer from diarrhoea and dysentery, was then transported to the main North Korean prisoner of war camp in Seoul with other American prisoners. He tried to keep his identity a secret for as long as possible but was eventually recognised by a a South Korean administrator who had worked with him or uh, under him, I guess, before the right. war, and Dick. gave him up in a heartbeat because, again, we can't make this point clear enough. Many South Koreans didn't like the Americans. Yeah, uh, they didn't ask. For yeah, you to come in. just re, just one guy. Yeah, one, one guy. guy. Yeah. But he was in a striped suit, so yeah, and he spoke English and he was a Christian and he'd lived right. in America for thirty-six years. So, oh, good. You know, who the fuck oh, are you, and why are you bringing in another round of? Fucking uh, colonialists to take yes. over our country. Yes. So Dean was then moved to Pyongyang, uh, where oh, he shit. was given larger living quarters. Now, right. when I, I, I'm confused by this, right? Yeah, yeah. Because when yeah. I've watched American movies about right. the Korean War, right? Uh, and Americans, and particularly American officers, are taken prisoner. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They are beaten, tortured. Thrown in the hole, uh, you know, with live rats, snakes, rabid sure. dogs. Lunch. You know, they, they've right. they've got uh, electrodes on their testicles. Oh, standard. Uh, uh, yeah. they're, they're put in a, a, a Mad Max Thunderdome ring, <laughs> uh, beaten with sticks and made to fight to the death against their sure. colleagues. Right. Uh, with, with pointy sticks. Yeah, jabby jab. But Dean was given larger living quarters, medical treatment, food, mm. um, and <laughs> right. Hold on. Then they tried to. They did interrogate him. He yep. refused to give them anything, and said, "I guess you're going to torture me now." And they were like, "No, yeah. no, that's fine. I guess if you don't yeah. want to tell us anything, you, you don't want to tell us anything. I mean, don't. okay. Stubborn. I mean, we." we I mean, if you ta- if if we torture you, you'll probably just make up shit anyway, because right. uh, so, that's how torture works, right? So yeah, what's the point? They never, according to his own account, later on when he got yeah. back to the US, they never tortured him, and they treated him very well. He said he played chess with his guards every day, was allowed to exercise right. every day. He was kept huh. alone, wasn't allowed to associate with other American prisoners for the remainder uh-huh. of his years. Right, right. Um, He claimed that the North Koreans considered him a war criminal and had many long conversations with him about the problems of capitalism in the United States and imperialism and colonialism, but also said they never tried to convert him to becoming a communist. 
Wow. He did say that he read a lot of communist literature because that was all they had. Sure. So he yeah. said, I want to read something, so they would yeah. give him communist literature. Communist daily. Right? Yeah. He said, I'm very well versed in the writings of Marx and Lenin. Um, I don't want to be. Because they gave it to yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, he said he later tried to commit suicide. Right. Because he feared he would break under torture and divulge critical intelligence to the North Koreans. But uh, then they never really tortured him. So he was like, yeah. okay, well, if you ever do that, then uh, I will probably commit suicide. But they never right. did. Um, to answer your question, I think they were playing a deep game. Um, and let's be honest, if you're in charge of a uh, division and a year goes by or six months goes by, the lay of the land, the people in charge is probably all changed. What, what are you going to be able to tell them anyway? So uh, kudos to the North Koreans for not um, uh, being – they could have done anything they wanted to him. So kudos for them for, for, for treating him humanely according to his accounts. Unless they beat yeah. the hell out of him and tortured him and then they – brainwashed him to think that we never hurt you. I don't know. I wasn't there. Who knows? Now, the only contact he had with the outside world was when he was interviewed on the 18th of December, 1951. Wow. 18 months after his capture, well, yeah. more or less, by yeah. Australian journalist Wilfred Burchett. Oh, cool. Uh, who was writing for Le Soir, a Belgian newspaper. Now, we've talked about William Burchett before on mm -hmm. this show. Because he was the first Western journalist to report from Hiroshima after the dropping of the bomb. That's right. And That's MacArthur right. tried to stop him from reporting on what he saw there. Uh, Burchett is probably not very well known in Australia these days, although he is a very um, well-awarded journalist in Australia, uh, but mm -hmm. also at the time was right. considered a treasonous bastard by the Australian government, and he was a Sounds communist. Right. Uh, and that's why he was in Europe at the time. Now, the US media, well, I looked up all these stories about his interview with Dean because Americans thought he was dead until Burchett said, no, no, I met him and I interviewed him. Wow. The, the US media just referred to him as a communist correspondent. He was Come an Australian on. journalist who broke Come the news on. of Hiroshima they right. referred to him as a communist correspondent. He's lucky to go now, off on just that. Yeah. 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 Now, during the Korean War, Burchett also investigated and confirmed claims by the North Korean government that the U.S. were using germ warfare during the war. Right. Uh, he goes on to later on, he was the first Western journalist to interview Yuri Gagarin after Gagarin's mm -hmm. first flight into outer space on Vostok 1. But he was hated by both the US and Australian governments and was effectively exiled from Australia for 20 years. Uh, they um, actually wanted to charge him with treason but actually just cancelled his passport for 20 years. And wow. it wasn't until <laughs> Gough Whitlam took power in the early 70s that he was given another Australian Passport. Listeners in Melbourne might be interested to learn that the famous chef and restaurateur in Melbourne, Stephanie Alexander, is his niece. I've mm -hmm. had dinner at Stephanie's, which was the I don't know if it's still around, but 20 years, 20 or 30 years ago, I had dinner at Stephanie's. 
right. number of times when I lived in Melbourne. Very nice, uh, classy restaurant in uh, Turak, I think, in Melbourne. Cool. Now, uh, Burchett wrote a book about the Korean War in 1953 mm-hmm. called uh, uh, This Monstrous War. Oh, um, I wonder what he thinks of it. <laughs> I read it, and I'll quote a bit from it in a second. Um, the In the United States, when, when his publisher sent 500 copies of the book to the United Gosh. States in 1953... Right. Uh, they were seized, the, the, the entire shipment was seized by U.S. Customs and dumped in the sea on its arrival. They Boston, Boston Tea Partied it. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. gotcha. Uh, because right. America has freedom and right. freedom, freedom of the of press. Freedom of expression. And freedom of speech. Yeah, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. <sighs> yeah. And Americans, uh, uh, you know, very well informed about what's yeah. going on. Well, it's good to know world. both sides. So thank you for that. And this was in 1953 after the end of the war. This <laughs> right. happened. Doesn't matter. They, they, they matter. dumped the book. His friend and colleague, British communist journalist Alan Winnington, mm-hmm wrote an anti-war pamphlet called I Saw the Truth in Korea in 1950. He and Burchett, uh, as far as I know, were the only two Western journalists who were with the North Koreans and were reporting from North Korea. They, they were embedded, I guess, in modern parlance right. with the North Korean army. Right. He, his, this pamphlet he put out, which I haven't been able to get a copy of because it's probably out of print, yeah. contained photographic evidence of mass graves of civilians executed by the South Korean police. Jesus. Now, when yeah. he published this leaflet, the British government debated whether or not to have him tried for treason, a charge which at the time carried the death penalty. Mm-hmm. Damn. Uh, but instead they did what the Australian government had already done to Burchett and just cancelled his passport. Yeah. So he was an exile from his own country for reporting the truth. So Britain, Australia, the United States, at the time, in the 50s. And today, today, Julian Assange is in jail in the the United Kingdom because he reported the truth. So this is, the West has a long tradition of uh, going after journalists who get out of line. And you know we would, the Western powers would use the excuse of the Cold War. Look, you're either with us or against us. We, have to, we can't have any break, break in the ranks. You have to be with us. And if we do screw up, and not that I'm saying we do, but you, but you can't call us on it because we have to appear to be the good guys. I don't know. I mean, they just use the excuse of the Cold War. Now that we don't have that, they, they're just hiding shit. Um, what is going on with Julian Assange? I mean, has there been any change? Is he... Is he going to be extradited to the U.S. or is the, or, or the Brits going, no, but we'll hold him in jail for you? I, I haven't been keeping up uh, with what's going yeah, on. Yeah, the U.S. is still trying to get him extradited. He's still right. fighting it. He's still in prison. Gotcha. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think his father and brother are in Washington at the moment trying to convince the Biden administration to, to let him go, but mm. don't, don't you- like their chances. Did you see the Democrats are working hard, theoretically, to legal to federal law to legalize marijuana? So if they do, yeah. I don't know. 
if I can do this show anymore because I don't know if I'll mm, be mm, mm, sh- mm, straight mm, up. No, but seriously, the, well, um, the quite honestly, it, it right? might make a lot of difference. Uh, it'd probably be better. It'd probably be better. Um, the thing that you put on Facebook about the Australian writer that you were just talking about, I replied with a book that I had read about. It's called Fallout. An American writer, um, I can't remember his name. I'm blanking right now. He kind of finagled his way into Japan to Hiroshima, Hiroshima to. Uh, interview families that had survived the blast or some of the uh, families had survived the blast. And then he writes it all down, gets some pictures, comes back to, to uh, New York and the New Yorker published his entire article in one go. And that was the only thing they had done. There was no serialization because they knew it'd be shut down. They just put his story all in one and put it out there. Uh, but by the time he got it out, the government had already leaked enough information going, yeah, you know what? I think we were wrong about some of the fallout and some of the, the lasting lingering effects. So uh, our bad, but it happened to Japanese, so it's kind of okay. So, yeah, there were some very Oops. courageous people early on trying to get the truth out. Yeah. And, you know, the, the argument, I'm sure, from Western governments for blocking these sorts of books mm-hmm. and pamphlets is that, well – we need to stop our people from getting access to this stuff because if we don't, then the communists will win and that would be bad because they don't have freedom of press and freedom <laughs> of speech. So See how that works? We My eyes crossed. You have to fight fire with fire, maybe? Sure. Something? Sure. I, I don't know. They'll use it um, against us. <clears throat> yeah. So I couldn't get Winnington's pamphlet, but I did right. read Burchett's book, as I said. And in, in his book, he talks about Winnington's report. Mm-hmm. Uh, the atrocities committed by uh, South Korean and American troops during the retreat from Taizhong. Mm. I'm going to read a section here uh, from Burchett's book. A typical example was provided at Taizhong, slightly more than 100 miles south of Seoul. Alan Winnington of the London Daily Worker visited Taizhong a few days after what was left of the decimated American 24th Division under Major General Dean had pulled out of town. All the way south from Suwon, Winnington kept hearing stories from refugees of an immense massacre further south. Inquiries at small towns and villages brought news of 150 to 200 patriots murdered at each place which was about the normal quota for any small town through which the ROK and American troops had passed. At Taizhong, the rumour was stronger, and a KPA officer at Winnington's request sent out scouts to verify what had taken place and where. On July 30th, a little over a month after the war started, Winnington and interpreters walked to a point on the Taizhong-Yongdong Road, about seven miles south of Taizhong, and about a third of a mile south of the small village of Rangwul. There, the peasants gathered round to tell the story of the Taizhong massacre, a story which Winnington was able to verify when he visited the actual spot where the massacre took place and secured photographic evidence. At about the beginning of July, almost all the peasants in the area had been press-ganged into digging huge pits ranging from 50 to 200 metres in length and about two metres wide and two deep. They worked under the direction of ROK troops. On July 6th, the number of trucks, some driven by Americans, others by ROK soldiers, arrived on the scene with people packed into them. Their hands were wired behind their backs. They were packed in layers with straw matting between the layers. Those on top were forced to get down. Those below, many of them only semi-conscious, were thrown out. 
With American officers in attendance, they were herded to the edge of the first pit, forced to kneel, and the shooting commenced. At first, volleys were fired into each one, but after American officers intervened, a single shot was fired and the victim thrown into the pit, dead or alive. This was repeated on the two following days. As the pits were filled, the peasants were forced to cover them up and dig new ones. The corpses themselves almost filled the pits and only a thin layer of dirt could be thrown over them. It was quite clear that many of those shot were not dead when they were thrown in because arms, legs and heads in some cases were sticking out of the ground, indicating victims had struggled to get out after the trucks drove off. The peasants were forced to dig six pits in all. On July 16th, a number of jeeps drove up. ROK and American officers got out and a few minutes later, more trucks rolled up. This time they were packed even higher with prisoners. The peasants estimated there were about twice the number in each truck compared, compared with the earlier massacre and believed that on July 16th and 17th, 4,000 people were executed, making 7,000 in all. This time again, only one shot was fired into each victim, but those who still struggled were stabbed with bayonets. It was established later that the first batch of shootings comprised all the political prisoners of Taizhong jail, and that after the jail was emptied, prisoners from all the surrounding jails were concentrated at Taizhong for execution. After the after that, the butchery started, but there was not time to complete the work. Taijon fell on July 21st before there was time to round up more than a tiny proportion of the relatives. There was not even time to fill in the grave. Bodies just lay as they'd been flung into the pit. Winnington visited the pits and reported the massacre in the Daily Worker at the time. He also took pictures which showed a valley about a quarter of a mile long and a couple of hundred yards wide with the death pits spaced within its confines. Close-ups showed hands, feet and heads still sticking out of the flimsy covering of... Uh, of... Uh, something... Uh, my notes are fucked up here. Oh, of Earth. There you go. And massed bodies where the peasants had started to reopen the graves for identification. One of the peasants recounted that one of his friends, also forced to act as grave digger, saw his brother-in-law and made an involuntary sign of recognition. He was immediately seized, his arms bound with wire behind his back and unmercifully beaten with rifle butts before he too was shot. Later, there would be many more such massacres, and on a much larger scale, especially when the Americans invaded North Korea. But the massacre of 7,000 civilians in a town of 60,000 in the heart of South Korea mm. was commentary enough on the support Rhee could count on from his own people. Jesus. I'm just trying to picture the atmosphere. I mean, obviously, it's war. It's uh, a breakdown of a system of law and order. You think the... Um, North's going to come and possibly win. I wonder if the Americans were told, if they cared at all, if they were told these were communist sympathizers or whatever. Maybe these were people that Re didn't like or that didn't like Re. You, you wonder. But, um, yeah, who's, I mean, there's a war going on and they're taking the time to do this. So it was obviously important to someone. Speaking of communist sympathizers, Alan Winnington was a member of the Communist Party of Great Britain. Mm-hmm. Uh, had already travelled to China earlier and witnessed the defeat of the Kuomintang. And 
lived in China for a long time, was quite uh, close to Mao Zedong, Zhu Enlai, all these sorts of guys, Zhu Dei. Mm-hmm. So you might assume his account is biased and it might be North Korean propaganda. I'm sure some people listening to this uh, jumping to that conclusion or thinking sure. that might be possible. However, an investigation in 1999, which led to declassified US military archives, confirmed Winnington's claims that there was, in fact, a mass execution of civilians by South Korean forces near Taejeon during the retreat. Uh, I think it left out the involvement of the Americans, but uh, the mass execution definitely happened. Now, Burchett's interview, as I said before, with Dean when he was in captivity was the first time that Dean was confirmed as being alive. Mm -hmm. And uh, Dean later on wrote an autobiography called My Friend... uh, No, sorry. He wrote an autobiography. um, I've got the name of it somewhere else. I I couldn't get my hands on it. But in the autobiography, he um, had uh, uh, a chapter called My Friend Wilfred Burchett. Right. Um, now, Burchett uh, sent a letter to Dean's wife from Dean. Wow. Which was published in the media. I dug it up in, I think, the New York Times. Mm-hmm. Um, where he said that the thing he was most looking forward to when he got mm-hmm. back home. Here we go. Was teaching her how to cook kimchi. <laughs> you told me he wasn't converted. Uh, so I think he was. No, go ahead. Yeah. So he, he got I love to, this. He liked it. So, yeah, yeah he's, he wanted to teach her how to cook rice properly and kimchi. He's like, listen, Look, uh, I may be held time. prisoner, right. but I got to be honest. Yeah, I got some standards. These guys, yeah. they yeah. know how to cook Throw this food. Together. It's yeah. exciting. Can you imagine how kimchi would, would, be, would be going down in America in 1951? Like, Not, it's, uh, you know... Mm, Pretty, but even yeah. now, I, I find it pretty objectionable. Right. I actually don't mind it. Chrissy eats it all the time. She just eats it out of the fucking tin, and it stinks the house up because it smells like wow. shit. Okay. Mixed in with some something else, like if you mix yeah. it in with with uh, with some beef or, or right. some salad or something like something. that, it's, it's not bad. Yeah. Some rice, some salad. It's not, like a little bit of it mixed in. It's like a, it's nice, you know, right. stinky, spicy. Yeah. But yeah, but he was a big fan. Now, he claims uh, in his autobiography uh, to have lived the remainder of his time as a prisoner in relative comfort, wasn't beaten or tortured, wasn't interrogated after October 1950. Right. After the armistice was signed in July 1953, he remained in North Korea as a POW for several, several more weeks until the details were worked out. And then he was returned to UN forces at Panmunjom, in uh, September 4th, 1953, mm-hmm. um, but was interviewed uh, several times later while still a prisoner. The North Koreans allowed him to be interviewed. They didn't have any problem with that. Right. Um, and, and, you know, maybe this was a propaganda thing for them, like, well, we've captured a big general. We'll treat him very well and let him be interviewed, and he'll tell everybody how he's been treated good well. But, yeah, we're decent. Or yeah, the flip yeah, side is they right. just... Well, good guys, and we're treating him well. Yeah. Um, he said the in one interview, and you know, in his first interview in the New York Times when he got back on U.S. soil, like literally the next day, because right. I remember he said it was really weird seeing Americans around him everywhere. 
He said the North Korean guards were very friendly. There was one Korean officer who eventually came in charge of me about early January 1952. From that time, he started visiting me every 10 days. That was up until the summer of 1952. Then his visits became more frequent. He stated that Kim Il-sung had decreed that all camp commanders were to make a study of how they could better the conditions of prisoners of war. Mm. That was on June 25th, 1952, and they did make a big difference. He got me canned potted ham to supplement my meals, butter when they had it, which was seldom, but I got butter when they had it. They also had cookies, something like our Nabisco that were made in Romania, they desired me to be well, well fed. It was not their fault that I was not, for I would split it with the guards. Mm. Higher authorities think I got more food than I did. God. So they were decent so, to him, but we're still they, suspect. As Americans, we're still suspect. Go ahead. But not just decent to him. Like, according to his account, he was right. told by his uh, officer, Korean officer, that they were told by Kim Il-sung to figure yeah. out how to treat the prisoners of Top war back. Yeah, let's, let's do a better job. If, if I, now, I, you, yeah. don't, you don't get those stories in uh, your Guantanamo mainstream oh. uh, histories of the Korean War. Like right. in all of the American and British-produced yeah. Korean War books that I read, Never heard none that. of these stories turned up. But this was in the New York Times. I got this out of the New York. I had to go back to 1953. Right. Dug it up in the New York Times. But these stories don't yeah. turn up in your mainstream American histories on this stuff. Not yeah. that there are many of them on the Korean War. That's why it's sure. called the Forgotten War. But, uh, you know, this is this is the other side of the story that doesn't get told. Now, Dean uh, got portrayed as a U.S. war hero, received the Congressional Medal of Honor at the end of the war. Mm-hmm. But some people weren't impressed with his leadership. Yeah, some of the other military officers were like, wait, 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 you went out on, you know, with some guys and you had a bazooka and you were hunting tanks? I mean, that's that's courageous. That's Rambo shit right there. But you have the responsibility of command. You should be basically an officer's job, besides making sure everything runs smoothly and everything gets done efficiently, is you kick butt. You kick butt to the point where your men are more afraid of you than they are of the enemy. So when you tell them to fucking run at the enemy, that's exactly what they'll do because they're so afraid of you. He wasn't doing that. He's playing, um, I don't know, is it uh, one man one man gangbang? I don't know. He's like he's trying to win the war on his own. He's trying to compensate. So um, brave, yes. The proper function of an officer of his position, no. He, he screwed the pooch on that one. Colonel John Michaelis, who was a distinguished World War II combat veteran Mm. uh, and who was there at the time of the attack in Taejon, said, Why any general would tolerate the chaos at his headquarters in the fashion that Dean did, I never understood. There was a sense of hysteria. Nobody seemed to want to go and kick somebody in the butt. I never knew what Dean thought he was doing as a divisional commander to grab a bazooka and go off hunting tanks. Good point. Lieutenant Colonel George Masters said, Dean was very personable, but he still did not know what war was. Fundamentally, he was a silly man. 
He should have just given up his position and said, look, I want to be closer to the fighting because that's even though I'm 51 and I, I think that's something I really want to do. Um, so someone take over, but he doesn't do that. You, you don't get to have your cake and eat it too. He is going to be judged harshly by other commanding officers because he was doing it wrong. Well, that's all I've got on Taijon, and it's about time to wrap up. Do you have anything else on the battles here that you want to cover off on before I do some wrapping up notes? Uh, just one last thing. Um, so between July 10th and July 15th, uh, because, again, these series of battles was to buy more time, the U.S. 25th Division lands in Korea. By July 18th, the 1st Cavalry, uh, which is ironically an uh, infantry division, arrives. So they're put into the field on July 22nd. And so the battered, the much battered 24th Division can now withdraw. They had been fighting for 17 days. They lost uh, 30% of their strength, and they lost uh, 2, 000, about 2,400 men who were MIA. So their nightmare, for the moment, is over. Other troops are stepping up. They have done their job, buying time, and now it's time for these other divisions who, as far as we know, aren't any more prepared than the 24th was to take on the North Koreans. So as we said at the very beginning of the previous episode, the 24th Division was considered at the time the most battle-ready unit, and they did not do very well. So on July 20th, the 24th Infantry Regiment of the 25th Division uh, was in a battle, and they too broke and ran. But the problem with them is they were an all-black unit. They are not going to be understood. They're not going to receive mercy. It is going to come back and bite them in the ass. So we'll get into all that stuff later because of race relations within the military. But the point is, it's still going on just because you've got these other new troops in there. The North Koreans are still in command of the field. Meanwhile, in Japan, right. the U.S. occupation is uh, proving to be very unpopular. No, really? <laughs> They had their own elections on June 4th of 1950. The Liberals, which was the right-wing pro-American party, sure. couldn't win a majority in the upper house. Their vote dropped from 45 to 36%. Well, yeah. Then the uh, Ryoku Fukai, who were a group of independent conservatives who had usually supported the right-wing government up until this point, mm-hmm now supported the call to demand the removal of all American bases from the country. Well, that worked. Right? (laughs) Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, Now, this is interesting because, again, when I talk to some Americans like Markham, they're always like, no, the the Japanese love having us there. They love it. It's great. They can't. It's love it. It's all fabulous. Now... The big surprise at the time was that the Socialist Party of Japan during MacArthur's occupation of Japan became the second largest voting group in the upper house. Oh, shit. They won 61 votes to the Liberals' 76. Now, they were the leaders of the party, which... Sorry, what? uh, You said 61 to 70 or whatever. Was that seats that they had won? Because you said votes. Yes. Okay, just want to make sure. Seats, yes. Just want to make sure. Votes equal seats. Yeah. Oh. They were the leaders of the party which opposed the idea of a separate treaty with the USA, Mm -hmm. allowing them to keep their bases in Japan, which is what the Liberal Party were trying to push. But 
Dougie Mac's propaganda machine went into overdrive. Back home in the US, they were assuring everyone that the Japanese public loved Can't the Americans. Like, this this isn't an occupation. We, no. we don't. It's a love Remember, Truman's, Truman said this himself. We're American. Yeah. We don't occupy other countries. Yeah, no, no, no. No. That's 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 antithetical we're to what we stand for. Right. Yes, <laughs> we're invited. Like a vampire, like, you have to invite a vampire into your mm-hmm. house. Yes. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah. Like Julius Caesar was invited into Gaul <laughs> by the <laughs> Trinacci right? oh, tribe. Do you think General Dean maybe read Caesar's commentary and went, you know what? Yeah, I'm a commanding officer, but that sounds pretty fucking cool. Give me a bazooka, boys. We're heading out. Where's my sash? And a red cloak. <laughs> Give me a red cloak. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, according to uh, Frank Hawley from the London Times, the election results are for that reason interpreted officially in a manner that dumbfounded Japanese observers. Huh. The Communist Party in Japan, however, only won two seats, but Max, Dougie Max still wanted to have them outlawed. Despite the free constitution that yes. he himself had written and imposed on the Japanese, I am here to give you freedom. That's Unless long. you're the Communist Party, in which case, no, no way. Uh, no you've got to go. Exactly. Complete and utter freedom, except for the things that we don't like. You can't have right. the, that. But everything two, else that we right. do like, you're completely free. Within <laughs> these strict parameters, yes. you are going to be mostly right. free. I don't think I can be any more clearer yeah. than that and, at this juncture. And, and point uh, you two, want us to leave? Right. That, that's not we part will, of it. We're not exactly. leaving ever. We're not going to leave. 2021, right. we'll still, still have 50,000 troops here. Hanging you on. better fucking believe right. it. Right. And, and the I other saw somebody, part. Right. Go ahead. Sorry. Somebody on Twitter, I just want to shout out uh, mm-hmm. Noisy Andrew, I think it was, uh, t- tweeted after one of our last shows. Uh, Cameron Riley said on his Cold War show that America still had 50,000 troops in Japan. I thought that was complete bullshit, and I went to research and to debunk it. And fuck me if he's not right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you do research. Yeah. Okay. I'm like, yeah. come on, dude. You've been listening to the show for how many years and you still think I'm just making up shit here? Like, yeah. I'm not making up shit. I don't make up shit. I research shit. We, that's 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 what I do. Come sadly, on. Sadly, have a little faith, motherfucker. Exactly. But sadly, you don't have to make up things like that because it is true. So, yeah. Just some research. Yeah. That's it. I'm out. See I'm you next out. time, kids.